The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. But now I'm joined in studio by Mairead McGuinness, European Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and the Capital Markets Union. Commissioner, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Good now, to be here. Uh, so many things to talk about. Um, I, I first of all would like to mention John Bruton because you and he were close. Well, we were. I mean, I knew him before I knew him, if you know what I mean, in that he was a public figure, a big politician. And then when I ran for election in 2004, I remember calling him to ask him, would he nominate me? And of course he did. And he did it with an incredible speech. In fact, as I said to others, I think we had a huge turnout at that convention, which was myself and Avril Doyle, because John Bruton was speaking, because he is revered by the members of Fine Gael. And actually what I did last night, and I'd encourage others to do it, um, I downloaded his book from my local library, Laos Library, we have Borrowbox, Faith in Politics. And if anyone wants to see what he was really made of, there's essays in that about Gaza, about the US, about the future of Europe, about religion. And honestly, whether you disagree or agree, very profound. S is also about his conviction around nonviolence uh, and historical issues uh, in Ireland. So, um, so he was a thinker. He, oh my gosh, all the time. He wrote things down. I mean, he was in Europe a lot. I would have had a lot of contact with him. Again, hugely respected in the EPP party and group. He was a vice president of it. A huge conviction about Europe. And he understood what was needed to keep Europe together, sort of patience and persistence, but also progress, ongoing progress, that Europe could never stand still and say we were done. Um, and because of his conviction uh, on Europe, I think he, he is and, and so well respected amongst prime ministers, but also amongst members of the European Parliament. Esther de Lange, who's a younger MEP than I am, came up to me and said, oh my God, Mary, that's really sad about John Bruton. Uh, so a very big figure. Um, I mean, I'm having a cup of tea here with you in the studio. We've had lots of cups of teas, the Fianna yeah. Gaelers this week, just thinking about him. And I think cross-party, whether they, you know, agreed or disagreed, um, I think there was profound respect for him yeah. in the end. Uh, I mean, and I did, was in with us and he, he talked about yeah. what a great uh, session they had talking about the suspended all the order exactly. of business and had a great session well, talking I about John. His brother's speech, it was posted, and I was in my hotel room in Strasbourg because we were there for the European Parliament. And it was a most beautiful speech. I text Richard afterwards, but hugely emotional. I mean, it was, I mean, he held his composure because. He, he felt, I'm sure, he had to win the doll, but also he cracked because it was his brother. And there were things about John that I didn't know that he taught Richard French, for example, and his sister Mary French. Um, and that, uh, he, you know, he loved people and he was there for people. Um, Emer, who would have worked with me, would have known him very well. Uh, when I was still in the Parliament, she worked with me and she would have been out and about with uh, John canvassing. Um, and he never stopped. I mean, Richard had a lovely line uh, and you could laugh and cry listening to his speech. But we laughed when he said that John would write papers about the future of Ireland and that he would have to tidy them up, you know, when he presented them to him. So, I mean, he has left a lot behind. Uh, And really, I would encourage you to get the book. Whoever is listening and is interested, um, Faith in Politics is a great read. Politics goes on, of course, yeah. and uh, we have a number of things to, to talk about. Uh, let's talk about Gaza, yeah. because you spoke about that the last time mm-hmm. uh, you were with us and mm-hmm. that uh, things had only begun to, to unfold. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
now we're in a situation where even the United States is kind of cautioning Israel about going into Rafah, Rafah yeah. City. I yeah. mean, what they've done is corralled so much of the population into the Rafah area. Yeah. And now they're mounting a, a military operation. They yeah. uh, drop some bombs overnight. What is the EU pr- position on what Israel is doing now? Yeah, well, I think you're right in saying, and it's interesting that uh, President Biden has said what is happening now is over the top. Um, I think that this situation in Europe, there are many different degrees of views. I think the Irish position is very clear, and I've given that position to my colleagues in the college. But around the leaders of Europe, I think there is now beginning to be a change in the mood. Not dramatic, because there are still those who rightly recall the horrors of why this started, what Hamas did And particularly Germany and Austria. Indeed, Um, for historical reasons. They they dare not criticise Israel because of the resonances back but, to... But, but I don't think that criticising Israel is the fundamental issue here. Look at the humanitarian catastrophe that's happening uh, to innocent children. If, I'm not even going to say adults, but innocent adults as well. I mean, Barry Andrews, the MEP, was uh, there. He visited, um, and I think his testimony, uh, when I talked to him privately, I mean, it is quite horrific what is happening there. So I don't think any of us can say this is fine. This is not fine. But the Uh, EU, each country is adopting its own particular, there is no EU position saying... I I think there is, if you look at the West Bank, for example, I think there are, you know, there are talks there around we have to do something to sanction what's happening there because it is illegal and it is wrong. Mm. Uh, I do think that Europe sometimes comes rather slowly together with a common view And you have to respect the different views around the table. And I think Ireland has shown strong leadership, but Spain also. And the high representative, Joseph Borrell, who is Spanish, is working behind the scenes to try and draw up a peace map towards, uh, first of all, stopping the violence. But secondly, what is the the long-term solution here, a two-state solution? Again, John Bruton wrote about this, and he did very profoundly say in 2010, this could be tragic in the end for all. He said that, you know, the situation... and that was 2010, could be sustained militarily, but not politically. Yeah. And, and that's I think where we're at. We're, that's, that's where, where we're, we're at, at today. Um, the other conflict that's ongoing is Ukraine. And we've had the ludicrous Tucker Carlson interview overnight with Putin. Putin saying, uh, just let me have Ukraine. I really don't want Poland. And, you know, the yeah, Latvians and, and are now having conscription. Yeah, the, the, yeah the don't, don't end, help yeah. them defend themselves, that kind of th- mm. thing. Um, and the EU, in terms of keeping Ukraine going, has voted this 50 billion yeah. going forward to keep civil society on, on the yeah. road. Yeah. But it is a terribly worrying time for some uh, members of the EU, particularly on the borders. Oh, of course it is. And you're right. I mean, there's an agreement with this um, U- uh, Ukraine facility of 50 billion over a number of years. But for those um, on the borderline, first of all, from a defence point of view, I sat on a panel this week in Luxembourg with the new uh, Polish finance minister, they are spending over 4% of their GDP on defence. Um, and if you look across Europe, that figure is higher than anywhere else. And they're doing it because they feel the heat. I was in Warsaw a few months ago and I could feel the sense of fear there, which I don't think we feel here as much being further away. So um, there's no doubt about it that we have to do what we can for as long as we can. We're also trying to make sure that the US does 
it's part two and that's a complicated mm. process of them releasing the money in order to help Ukraine. One of the areas where the issues, um, different issues arise along the border is around, you know, agricultural produce from Ukraine yeah. coming into the European Union. And we wanted to give them access to allow product go to the third world, um, grains especially. But it's obviously having a, an impact on the internal market. So we have at the one level in those member states profound support for Ukraine. They've taken most yeah. of the, the people who've come to Europe, but also a concern about, you know, the economic, the defence, the cost consequences. But we don't have a choice around supporting Ukraine because if you, as you've short, uh, given me the short version of the Tucker, um, the Carson interview, I mean, this man is on a mission and it's not a good mission and mm. he's Im- I- impacting horribly the people of Ukraine. Now, um, you, you mentioned the grain from Ukraine mm. and that's an issue for those in Hungary and in Poland. Um, there are other issues that the farmers have. And of yeah. course, uh, you cut your teeth on a lot of farming matters on television and so on. Yeah. Um, the, the Irish uh, concerns are obviously about the nitrate uh, directive. Um, they're yeah. also concerned about uh, herd numbers, the production of, uh, of beef. But all over Europe, I mean, mm. the Netherlands, they've got their own issues on yeah. nitrates. Uh, the, the Germans yeah. and the French have this thing about agricultural diesel subsidies. There's so many. Each, each group of farmers has their own individual problems. Yeah, they do. And I'm trying to go, going to unpick this because it's a really important issue. Because I'm from a farm and, and I've dealt with agriculture, I had the wisdom actually of a visit from Ray McSharry, who was one of the big architects of cap reform in his time as, a, as an agriculture commissioner. And indeed, I remember reporting farmers burning his effigy. And that was the time we decoupled uh, payments uh, from production, etc. But anyway, to go back to today, I would sum it up uh, in a way that farmers across Europe are fed up. But each of them for different reasons. But the underlying feeling is I and this is true of my, if you like, the county I come from. They feel that they're not respected as they used to be. They feel that they are under pressure unfairly, now that, whether that's right or wrong. And they feel that they've been asked to do things which is really difficult, uh, you know, in terms of cutting back and, and whatever and some of the environmental pressure. So it's the cumulative impact of all of that. It started in 2019. I, I had my finger on this in 2019 after the elections and even during the European Parliament elections, I could see and feel the pulse of of agriculture, not just in Ireland, but across Europe, because I have lots of colleagues that were on the Agriculture Committee. And I think the farm to fork strategy, which is a really good strategy, Mm -hmm. but it had implications for farmers that weren't maybe perhaps communicated effectively. And to some extent, and I've said this publicly, that, you know, sometimes we need to learn and listen, you know, that if we don't communicate correctly, we shouldn't be surprised that people, whether they're business people or farmers, get upset. Because if you look at what's happening amongst the business community, there's a big pushback against what they call bureaucracy and red tape. So I have a, a framework of sustainable finance trying to direct money uh, towards more sustainable activities. And we have uh, now companies will have to report on their sustainability, not just on their incomes and, and profits. Yeah, and that there'll be... Uh, and that's pro- going to be a bit of a burden. Yeah. And there's pushback on that. So this week we have changed some of it in order to make it more proportionate. So I think in the last, I would say, year and a half, there has been a shift away from just Green Deal is important. There's no pulling back from the targets of climate change, biodiversity. But maybe we need to do it in a way where we bring more people with us. Even here in Ireland, you know that people want to do the right thing, but the closer it comes to taking the action, mm. the more hesitant we all are. Well, the IFA maintain that. that they have their plan and they say, yeah. well, the second 
sectors don't have the plan like we've the plan and we're going to achieve certain targets guaranteed almost by 2030. And look, farmers are doing it anyway. They're not talking about it on the ground, but it's about their livelihoods. I mean, I looked at Ear to the Ground last night. I don't Mm. always get a chance to look at my old favourite. It started, I was there when it started 30 years ago. And I was I was delighted to see that there was a dairy farmers on talking about sustainability in a very practical way with the young family wanting to make sure that the farm continued. But I, I do also fear that maybe some of the protests um, may attract others who are trying to use farmers and other groups uh, to peddle um a direction which is different and difficult and yeah. quite nasty. Um, one of the issues they have is Mercosur, you know, the yeah. importation of beef from Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, and, you know, destroying the rainforest to allow ga- uh, cattle to graze. Whereas we have loads of grass, we do it in a very sustain yeah. as sustainably as possible. Mm. Um, yeah, but but we have a deforestation policy where Europe is not going to take, for example, um, coffee or the beans, and we might even have a shortage. So I think some of the policy moves are correct and maybe not, again, properly communicated, but they have other consequences that are often unintended. On Mercosur, uh, the commissioner that moved that was Peter Mandelson. So we're talking about a deal which I would have opposed when I was in the Agriculture Mm. Committee at the time in the way it was shaped. Now it's being directed by my colleague, um, uh, Valdis Dombrovskis, uh, Executive Vice President of the Commission. But was this all We're about n- cheap food for Britain? N- no, 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 it's not. It's about um, export opportunities for Ireland and Europe. But it's also about how do you balance that with the question that you raise, which our farmers are rightly saying, what about the standards we have to live yeah. by? Are you going to make sure that they do the same? And indeed, they will have to do the same, but the deal is not complete yet. Um, I know that there are other countries who are concerned about it, and Ireland would have concerns as well, even though from an exporter of, of other produce, there would be opportunities there. So there's always pressure around trade agreements, but I would say that what's on the table today compared with what was on the table when Peter Mandelson proposed it is very different because it takes into account those questions on environmental and sustainability pressures. Uh, finally, Emirate Commissioner, uh, we're old friends, so <laughs> it's very go hard back to long. keep calling you <laughs> yeah, Commissioner. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. Your own future. I mean, yeah. uh, your job dies with the, the Commission when yeah. that happens. You were, of course, uh, an MEP yeah. uh, and For became Vice President yeah. of uh, the, the Parliament. What next for you? Because Fianna Foil, if it's in their gift, which it will be to appoint the next commissioner, it won't be you. I think you well, have I to be realistic. Respect for that. I mean, I, I am not as young as I used to be, Pat, and I full respect for it. Having said that, I have really good relationships with all of the party leaders and all of the members of government, as I should have. Um, I've had 16 years being in the European Parliament, uh, as you said, first vice president, and I've had the opportunity now to serve in the commission. And I've said it before, I would like to serve again and I'm ready to serve, but I have no ex- expectation or sense of entitlement. And if not, what then? Well, what you said, I think, come back to you said the job dies with me. Frankly, if I don't die, things will happen. And I hope there are things that I can do. Um, And a bit like when you look at what John Bruton did outside of politics, maybe he was more effective as a thinker and a doer, that he could do more and achieve more by influencing. And I don't know what's next for me. I mean, I I did say, sure, maybe I get a job in broadcasting again, but I'm not so sure that that's that's in the offing. Um, I I still can spot a good story. Uh, But I think I'd like to be around for the next commission because it will be profoundly different than what we've gone through. We 
had COVID and we have a war, we have to in the next, after these elections of the European Parliament, we'll have a different political mix. We will have to deal with that. But we'll have to t- do the things we said we do around cl- attacking climate change. Interesting that the farmers of Meath in their next IFA meeting will have, Ger- uh, is it Jerry um, Murphy, our, um, it is, isn't it, who's our weatherman, is coming to talk to them. Oh. So that reflects a reality that farmers who know the weather want to understand the climate as well. All right. Commissioner Mairead McGuinness, thank you very much for joining us Pleasure. in the studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.